This episode is sponsored by Cards Against Humanity. They asked us not to read an ad. Enjoy the show. It is the Chicago Verse podcast on the Dynasty Podcast Network, featuring interviews with Chicago's premier artists and industry and creatives and culture leaders. Hosted by Haima Black. Welcome to Chicago. Haima Black here at South by Southwest. It's the first full day of music, I think. It's Wednesday. Whatever the Wednesday is of South by Southwest music, um, I'm here for Dynasty Podcast, Illinois Entertainer, Chicago Inno, Chicago Made, everybody. Uh, I'm here with Joe Bogdan, a friend and colleague from Columbia College. How are you doing, man? I'm great. Hi, how are you today? I'm really good, man. It's beautiful out. It's gorgeous. You're going to be presenting today. I really, I'm glad we got to connect. Um, we're going to talk about some really cool stuff that you've, per, uh, you, you've presented or you're going to present and you've prepared, but let's get some background for people who maybe don't know as much about you. Like, you're with Columbia College, you're an instructor there. Kind of talk about what you do and what you specialize in. Okay, yeah, I'm a full-time faculty member at Columbia College. Uh, it's my fifth year as a, as a faculty member there. I teach, basically, teach and, and research in two disciplines. Number one, live events. Number two, intellectual property. So some people don't think those necessarily go together, and maybe they don't, but they're just the two you know, lines into which I've gone over the course of my career. So that's what I teach. Uh, and I got, I became a teacher after 25 years on the corporate American treadmill in those two lines. And at uh, Columbia College, I teach uh, a, cl- a class called Business of Live and Performing Arts. I teach entertainment law. I teach a graduate level class in intellectual property. So you can see how m- my two areas of expertise, expertise go into, you know, two sort of different class lines at Columbia College. You know, Columbia, and I got to say this, and I'm not just saying this because we work there, but it's like Columbia, especially our department, which is the business and entrepreneurship department. It's just what it sounds like. It focuses on the, the more business and entrepreneurial aspects of the arts and entertainment industries. They're really good about putting people with the experience in these classes. Uh, Alex Fruchter is another friend of the podcast who runs a record label, and he's teaching you know the record label class. Justin Sinkovich has all sorts of great media and entertainment experience. So there's all these people in our department who really are coming from the worlds that they're teaching about now, which is, I think, very cool. Um, I, agree, I agree with that. I and mean, We have uh, admitted students days every Friday in the spring for admitted students and their parents to come to campus. And last Friday, someone asked me, like, why should we choose Columbia College over another uh, school? And I said, you know, not patting myself on the back, but because of the faculty. For that reason, we're all doing the stuff we teach. It's not like I read a bunch of articles about people who do this stuff, and then I decided to write about it myself. No, I do it. I did it, I do it, and, and I teach it now as well. Or it's not people who are like, yeah, you know what? In the 80s, I was doing this, and I haven't done it since 92. Let me tell you what it's like. It's, it's all people who are current. Uh, so you are doing some really cool stuff here at South by Southwest. You're doing a panel presentation, or is it just solo? No, it's a panel. Okay. Uh, it's supposed to, supposed to be four people, but now it's three because yesterday somebody fell down some stairs and can't oh, make it. Oh, man, that's unfortunate. Uh, so you're doing a panel presentation that relates to an article that you wrote that you had published in a couple of different mediums and outlets. Uh, talk about this article and the panel and what it's about and what it's focusing on. Okay. So uh, there's a provision of the Copyright Act of 1976, which basically protects authors from exploitation. So um, Congress, when they enacted the Copyright Act of 1976, they recognized that historically, particularly in the music industry, but really in all industries, authors get, have gotten taken advantage of. So we've all heard the story about you know, the famous blues men and Motown people who signed away everything they owned for a sandwich and, you know, and, and aren't getting paid today. And they're, you know, they just, they're, they're destitute and the people who own the rights aren't taking care of them. Well, Congress recognized this and they enacted a law that says basically, after 35 years, 
you can get back your intellectual property no matter what you signed, whether it's an assignment of title or a license for you know, 40 years or in perpetuity, whatever, you can get it back. And as an intellectual property guy, I freely admit, that's been in the Copyright Act of 1976 since 1976. Five years ago, I didn't know about it. Right. And I heard about it and I thought, well, this is a great right for authors and, and there must be a ton of people exercising this right. We were just, just waiting with like a counter, like, <laughs> all right, 17 more days. Yeah. Right, like the yeah. doomsday clock. Right. Uh, and I started doing some research and I found out that no, it, almost no one has exercised this right. And, you, and if you do the math, you'll realize that 35 years from the effective date of the Copyright Act of 1976 is basically now. It started maybe three years ago. So we're in the window now where things from 1978, 79, 80 are eligible for recapture. And when I did the research, uh, which I was able to do because all the records that I filed with the Copyright Office are public record, I went in and I looked and I searched for terminations under this section and I found that fewer than 300 artists have exercised this right. So I thought, well, there's a story here to be told and there's yeah. there's work to be done and there are rights to be exercised and value to be captured and artists, authors to be helped. So uh, I started contemplating the reasons why. Why haven't people exercised their rights? And I started talking to authors and lawyers and consultants and came up with a list of 11 reasons why I think that authors haven't exercised their rights. And some are probably more powerful than others, but I do think there's a, a dozen-ish reasons out there. So I wrote an article on the, on the research that I did, which included you know, both the hard research at the Copyright Office and scholarly publications and journalism and also these interviews. And I had a, a short article published in Billboard magazine on it in November. And then I did a, more, a longer, more scholarly research-based article that was published last month in the American Journal of Arts Management. And based on those two things, I filled out the South by Southwest panel picker and I said, hey, I've got this fresh research on a topic that musicians should be interested in and I'd like to present it at South by. And they said, sure, so that's the panel today. Yeah, I mean, it's an incredible concept that I, I mean, I had no awareness of. And I think what's interesting and what can be really tra tragic is that a lot of creatives, a lot of artists, you know, and we see this, they're not focused on what a contract says. They're not thinking about like their rights for their content five years from now, 10 years from now. They're focused on like, oh my gosh, like I wanna get my work out there, I wanna get recognized, or now it's like I just wanna be able to get some Instagram likes or you know, Twitter retweets. And they're not thinking about like the long-term ownership and these kind of things. Like, I guess, what are artists, what do they need to be aware of to kind of protect themselves intellectually and their, their creative content? Well, number one, they need to be aware of what, what they're signing in the first place, right? right. Even though there's a fail-safe like this, let's face it, 35 years is a long time. That's a, that's a rough <laughs> mistake to make. Yes. And, you know, if you, were, if you were lucky enough and or brilliant enough and or prolific enough, whatever uh, adjective you want to use, back in 1978 to have written something that, you know, don't stop believing, that's still sure. getting airplay today, then you can capture that back now. But... In the meantime, you're without your rights. So, you know, the first thing is, well, don't rely on a fail-safe. Be aware of what you're signing. Um, and then the second thing is, okay, if you everybody makes mistakes. If you make a mistake, well, there are, there might be some ways to fix it. So, knowledge is power. Yeah, and you know, attending something like South by Southwest is a good way to kind of get that knowledge base. And and these are things we also cover in the business and entrepreneurship classes. You know, where we are talking to 
a younger creative class that probably isn't, you know, thinking about these kind of things? Like, what kind of response do you get from your students and your classes when you bring these kind of concepts up and how they need to be aware and cognizant of their own kind of creative property rights? It's interesting, you know, when, when students come in as freshmen or even we have access through these admitted student days that I mentioned to high school seniors, and you ask them, okay, so you've created intellectual property, how long do you own it? And they don't know. Right. And that's sort of, you know, that's the cornerstone, right? Cop the term of copyright for an individual author is the life of that author plus 70 years. And, you know, what I get from the students is, first of all, an eyebrow raised, like, really? Okay, I didn't know that. But then we start talking about, is that, is that reasonable? You know, and copyright springs from the Constitution, actually, which is also surprising to them, and was to me 20 years ago, or yeah. when I have a long time. I'm surprised right now, yeah. In the Constitution, before even any of the amendments, before the founders thought about free speech, they thought about protecting copyrights. I thought that the Constitution was just where we yelled about guns, right? Like, that's all you hear about it for, basically, and free speech. There's two, you know, amendments. But no, that's crazy. Yeah, and in the, there's one sentence in the Constitution, and it, I, I don't remember the words exactly, but it's, you know, we shall provide for the protection of authors and inventors uh, the right to their works of authorship and inventions. And... And, oh, for limited times, is, and that's the hook, right? You ask a student, like, okay, is life plus 70 a limited time? You know, should Jimi Hendrix's grandchildren be able to be the ones reaping the financial windfall from this very valuable material? And students come out all across the board on that. You know, some say, well, yeah, if my grandfather built a house, I should be able to live in it, right? right. Some also say, like, no, man, you know, I want to use that stuff in my music. And if I got to pay Jimi Hendrix's grandchildren for it, that's not fair. And so when you, you introduce them to a wrinkle like this uh, Section 203, which is what the panel's on today, then they really start scratching their heads. Like, okay, you know, this is more complex than I thought. Yeah. I mean, it's real. It's to me a really interesting concept. Um, so, you know, going forward, what kind of other, I guess, stipulations or clauses or anything like that should young creatives or creatives of any age be aware of when they're creating intellectual copyright or intellectual property? Because again, I think right now we're in a time where we're only focused on Instagram likes on, you know, Snapchat engagement, on things like that, but people aren't thinking long-term, I don't think, anymore. Right. I think, you know, there, there are always gradations of things you can do to protect yourself. I had a student the other day say to me, well, I take pictures at concerts and my friends want them, and I put a watermark on them to, to designate, designate that they're mine. And my response is, well, you know what? That ain't perfect, but it's better than nothing. Sure, if you're it's on a, a start. Yeah, if you're on a scale from zero to 10, if you had done nothing, you're at a zero. You put a watermark on it, or well, you're maybe at a four or a five. That's, a, that's a, an infinite improvement from a zero. Um, so they should start to pay attention to the rights, and then I think also learn about, about the law, which they can do at Columbia College, or for people who aren't currently in college at Columbia or elsewhere, you can learn about it online. And of course, you can also hire a lawyer. Yeah. Uh, and and lawyers are expensive, but it's the, you know to me it's the ounce of prevention is worth the pound of cure. If yeah. you don't you know if you sign a document now that gives away your stuff for 35 years or in perpetuity, you don't want to be waiting until you're let's say you're 20 when you do it. You don't want to be waiting until you're 58. Yeah, that's a very long return. 55. The case that I always think of, and I don't know all the details, but I know kind of like the folklore of it, is Alan Moore, the comic author, wrote the seminal works uh, Watchmen. So Watchmen is this like 
is it's like the the Tom Sawyer or like the Moby Dick of comics, you know, and from what I understand from the legend as I've heard it, and again, I'm not reading off of like a, you know, all the details, but basically he signed a thing with DC that said once they stopped printing it, he would get the rights back. He couldn't fathom the graphic novel market, the movie market that would come for superhero movies, and this, you know, this comic work is so valuable to DC Comics, so they're never going to stop printing it. Yeah. And so Alan Moore has been notoriously outspoken and rightly so, about how he wants to own this work back, and he wants it back from DC, but they just keep printing it. Yeah. It's... Yeah, and, you know, if he... One thing that he's done that a lot of people probably don't do, so this is more advice for students, he probably at least has a copy of that agreement in which he signed away his rights, right? And so often I encounter people, like in this, in this uh, Section 203 issue, one thing you need to do is identify the, the license or the assignment that you want to terminate. And if you never kept a copy of it, how are you going to identify it? Yeah. You can't. And I, you know, I've talked to a number of artists who wrote things you know, from the late 70s, early 80s, who have told me, after I told them about this right in the course of my research, who have said, hey, hey man, can you help me get my rights back? And I said, well, yeah, the first step is, let's see the agreement in which you gave those rights away. And, uh, I already know how this story ends. Yeah. And I don't even mind using his name because he told me I could. Uh, a guy named Bobby Kindle from uh, from Toto who sang right. on the first four Toto records. His response was, uh, you know, I had a manager and he handled everything. If we had a publishing deal, I, I don't even know if we did. But if we did, I never got a copy of it. And if 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 that's so, he's out of luck. So advice to a student is, look, even if you sign something, even if you're over a barrel and you just want to get your stuff heard and you sign whatever they put in front of you, at least get a copy of it. Put it in a box in your mom's attic and at least you'll have it someday. You know, the way I look at it is like, you know, anything that I have a value, I like, I back it up on an external and I back it up in a cloud. That way if the external, you know, if there's an apartment fire, I lose that, all right, it's in the cloud. The cloud crashes, all right, I got it here. You know, and it's like, you just can't be too prepared as far as I'm concerned. But I also am the son of a lawyer and worked alongside a lawyer in radio for 13 years. He was a DJ on the weekends. So I have had all of the like worst case eventuality kind of stuff drilled into me for 33 years of like, here's how you protect yourself and not everybody has that. Yeah, absolutely. So. And you know, I'm, I'm an OCD guy and yeah. you know, a lot of people with law degrees are. And I, you know, it's a blessing and a curse. In my career, it's good. In my personal relationships, maybe not so much. But, you know, I tell students and, you know, who are artists and so somewhat by nature not OCD, look, you got to get some discipline on this front. Um, one of the things in the article that we may talk about in the panel today is the fact that one of the reasons people haven't exercised this right is that artists procrastinate. And I've had people tell me, gee, Joe, you know, that's, that's kind of insulting to artists. Well. I don't mean it personally. There's actual research on this that the most brilliant creative people in the world tend to procrastinate. It's part of the creative process. Right. Nonetheless, if you can just recognize that and go, okay, I know I'm a procrastinator, but this document came by email today. I should save it to the cloud. It'll take two minutes and then I got it. You hit control P, PDF it. That takes 15 seconds. Yeah, and it's, it's just, it's so worthwhile. You know, uh, over the summer when SoundCloud you know, there were all these doomsday articles about SoundCloud's gonna get taken down. I didn't really believe it, but I got about 700 podcasts up there. I took a straight month, you know, and not like every minute of the month, but I took a month and downloaded all 700 of my podcasts, 
if they get taken down, which I don't think SoundCloud's going to, but if they do, it's an inconvenience versus doomsday, you know? Like, I just have to re-upload my stuff somewhere, but it's not like, oh, I just lost 10 years worth of work. Right, so. and then you're, in, and you're on the phone with SoundCloud for 17 days trying to get somebody at the help desk in India to recognize your problem and restore it. No, you've yeah. got it, you've got it covered. Yeah, so uh, if somebody wants to read this article, whether it's the Billboard article or the the full, lengthier, more in-depth version. Like, where can they find it? And, and if somebody wanted to reach out to you about it, can they do that? Yeah. Um, the shortest way to the articles is to just go to my website. They're both posted there, or links to both of them are posted there. And my website, my consulting firm is called Silvershift. It's one word, Silvershift. And it's at www.silvershift.net. And of course, that's how they can also reach me. Love it. Uh, Joe Bogdan, this is great. Like, you know, we've worked together alongside each other in the same department at Columbia for a while, but we've never gotten to do an on-the-mic thing like this. I've gotten to do it with Alex. I've gotten to do it with Justin. It's always cool when I get to connect with somebody from the department, like, outside of the school, someplace awesome like South By. This was great. Thank you so much for taking the time. Thank you. I appreciate it as well. You've been listening to a production of Dynasty Podcast. Find more Dynasty Podcasts at DynastyPodcast.com. For the Dynamic Dynasty, Dynasty Descent.